So what you believe about Jesus Christ is going to be the most important thing that you believe about anything. It's more important than the struggle between the Cubs and the Cardinals. It's more important than your denomination. It's more important than your Democrats, Republicans. It's more important than your politics. It's more important than your, 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 your favorite food, where you live, what your country of residence you're in. What you believe about Christ is more important than politics, gay mar- marriage, or abortion. It is of enormous value. What you believe about Christ is going to define your life. It's going to impact your soul now and in eternity. It's of the utmost importance that we get right what we believe about Jesus Christ. Now, we're surrounded by people who believe many things about Jesus. Some say he's a myth. He's just a story that they made up. Others say that Jesus is a new age teacher that came around and taught for everybody to get along and he got on the wrong side of the Romans and the Jews and they crucified him for it. But he was just a good teacher. He was just a a new age teacher preaching love. Others believe that Jesus is just misunderstood. We don't understand him rightly. We, We read the Bible, we don't understand him rightly. And for others, they think he's a great moral teacher. Which this is something I believed apart from Christ. When I was a child, I thought Jesus is a great moral teacher. He teaches me to, to do it unto others as I do unto, as they do unto others as, they do, as I want them to do unto me. The golden rule. That's what I believed. And as a Christian now, I find that I struggle at times, as Chet has so often said, that I live my life and that we live our lives as though this is our world and we're God. We live as though Jesus' identity doesn't matter. So Christ's identity is of infinite importance to us. And who he is and who he says he is and who the Bible says he is is of infinite importance to get right. C.S. Lewis responds to all these different views of Christ and how people proclaim Jesus is the arguments that they make against him in mere Christianity, in which he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, we are going to be examining examining the Gospel of John today, the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And as we examine this chapter, we're going to see Jesus meet Philip and Nathaniel. We're going to see Philip proclaiming, evangelizing Jesus to Nathaniel. We're going to see Nathaniel question Philip about Jesus and his identity and how meeting Jesus changes Nathaniel. 
Now, what we're going to find today is an honest approach to determining Jesus' identity is going to lead us to faith. An honest approach to determining Jesus' identity will lead us to faith. Now, we're going to examine this truth in two ways. First, we're going to see how an honest approach to First, we're going to see how an honest approach to determining Jesus' identity, we're going to see that approach. And second, we're going to see how that will lead us to faith. Now, let me uh, turn to the text. We're in John, the, the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The gospel of John, verses, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what we're going to look at first, as I said earlier, is we're going to examine the honest approach to to determining Jesus' identity. Now, in verse 43, we see Jesus come to Galilee. He finds Peter, and he says to him, follow me. I said, Peter, I apologize. He found Philip, and he said, Philip, follow me. Philip is the first person in the gospel of John for Jesus to call to follow him. Now, Andrew and the unnamed disciple, John, are both pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they say, Where? and they follow him. And Andrew goes and tells Peter, and Peter comes to Jesus. But Philip is the first one in the gospel that Jesus comes up to and says, follow me. And what happens after that? Do they have any more conversation? We don't see. It's, it's not here. But we see his first act was he followed Jesus. He responded in faith. He followed Jesus. And what was the second act? He went out and proclaimed Jesus. The first thing after Philip followed Jesus, he went to go tell other people about Jesus. And what he does here, and Philip, we're going to look at Philip a little bit on and off throughout this text, because Philip gives us a beautiful example of evangelism, a strategy anybody can do. He simply meets Jesus and goes to tell other people about him. What does he say? He goes to find Nathanael. And he says to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the gospel of John is post-exile. The Jews have come back to the land of Israel. They've reestablished their, their, their country. They've rebuilt the temple, but now they're under Roman rule. It's been 400 years since Malachi preached. 400 years of silence from the time that God last spoke to his people. John the Baptist has come. He's baptizing. He's calling people to repentance and faith. And there's this expectation of a Messiah, of an anointed one, of a king who will come from the line of David to reestablish the kingdom. Now, the Jews saw this through the Old Testament scripture. They, they have this theme they saw of a Messiah. And I want us to understand this. This is not just a New Testament theme. This is an Old Testament theme, this promised one. So we're going to look at a couple texts that deal with what is a Messiah. Where do we see that theme throughout the Old Testament? We first see God promise one in a... a, a In Genesis 3, God starts the promise of this anointed one, this Messiah, this Redeemer. In Genesis 3, when God curses the serpent, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. We see that one who will crush the head of Satan, who will bruise the head of Satan. And That theme begins, but that theme starts in Genesis 3 after the fall, but it grows as it goes throughout the scripture. We see it in Genesis, we see it in Deuteronomy, where Moses is promising the people of Israel that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, is to him you shall listen. So we have this one who will bruise the head of the serpent, the head of the devil. We have this one who will be a prophet like Moses who they should listen to. But it continues through the prophets as well. Isaiah teaches in Isaiah 9 of the greatness of his government and peace. There shall be no end. He shall reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And again in Isaiah, we see Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So there's this, this picture of a Messiah that starts in Genesis It moves to Deuteronomy. It moves throughout the prophets. There's this expectation that the Jews had at this time that there would be a Messiah, one that would come and establish justice and righteousness. They believed that this Messiah would free them from the oppression of the Romans. And the people were excited about this. The people would study the Old Testament. They had this expectation that God would bring the Messiah. They knew the Old Testament well. They knew what the, what, the, what the word said about the Messiah. So they were waiting. They were watching. There was an anticipation about this. Philip met Jesus, and he goes. He knows enough. He says, we have found the Messiah. And Nathaniel, he goes up to Nathaniel. says, we found him. We found the Messiah. Nathaniel, 
You can see Philip, he's really excited in this. He's, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You feel like that when you evangelize at times? You go and share the news, and somebody's like, can any good come from that? Do you feel that you have questions about that? Nathaniel was an Israelite. Nathaniel knew the law. Nathaniel understood the Old Testament. He understood the expectation of a Messiah. And when Nathaniel was looking for, he says, you just told me about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nathaniel's question isn't sarcasm. It's not being mean. It's not just brushing him off. But Nazareth is not the, the place that Jesus Christ was to be from. I'm sorry, the Messiah was to be from. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. You just proclaimed me Jesus of Nazareth. There's a problem here. Nazareth is, a, is not named in the Old Testament. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel had questions. Nathaniel had questions about this gospel, about this good news that Philip was proclaiming to him. And what we see here is there's nothing wrong with questions. What we see here in this, Philip doesn't chastise him for it. We're going to see his response in a second. He says, come and see. But there is an honest place in the Christian faith to ask questions. If, you're an, if you do not believe in Christ, if you're not trusted in Christ, there is an honest place for you to come and ask questions. It is okay to ask in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we're called to love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. We're not called to trust in Christ apart from our brains and set them off to the side. We're called to love God with our brains, with our minds. So there is a place to ask questions. If you have questions, they're about the faith, about Christianity, about who is this Christ you're welcome to speak to me, speak to Chet, speak to Caleb, to Kyle, to any of the community group leaders. If you're a believer and you have questions, sometimes none of us have all the answers. Somebody asks us a question as we're talking to them at work. Share with one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us challenge one another. Let us think through this together. That we can better understand how to communicate and how to Share the gospel with others and how to encourage one another in faith. So Philip goes and speaks to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's response is after being told about the Messiah is, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip's response, come and see. Philip had met the living Christ. He had been convinced that he is the Messiah, and he didn't argue with him. He didn't say, well, you know, he's actually from Bethlehem, and this passage in the Old Testament says this, so I think this will work. He doesn't argue with him about the Old Testament. He doesn't need to. He doesn't argue with him about the validity of the Scriptures pointing to Christ, the Messiah. He simply says, come and see. Come and see. That's great for Nathaniel and Philip. You say, well, yeah. That's great, that Philip could tell Nathaniel, come and meet Jesus. And we see that Nathaniel does come to see him. 
But how does that work for us? We can't just say, yeah, Jesus is over there at Kathy Kopi. Come on over. We'll go meet him. We can't do that. So how do we see this today? How does this work? This, this honest approach to determining Jesus' identity began with Philip proclaiming Jesus' identity to Nathaniel. It followed up with Nathaniel asking a good question, an honest question, and Philip saying, come and meet this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming. So how does this work with us today? How does this work in our lives? How can we, how can we apply this? I think we can follow this same evangelistic strategy very easily. We can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to people. If they have questions and, and, and doubts and questions, we can say, come and see. How do we do that? Well, there's a number of ways people can come and see. The first way is through the word of God. In the word of God, by, by taking somebody and saying, sit with me and read the word together, we can show them through the word who Christ is his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, the salvation that is found in him. We can study the gospel of Mark. We can study the gospel of John. I know that there are people in our church who are regularly reading the word with others that are getting together with with friends and engaging them in the word that they may see Jesus Christ and come to him in faith. I know there are parents who are doing that in the church. And that's one, word. that's one way we can do this. That's one way we can say, come and see. Come and see him in his word. Another way we can do that is say, is say, come and see him in his church, the body of Christ. The church is the body. We are the body of Christ. We are a body that loves one another, encourages one another. And as people are invited into our church, as people come through our doors, we want to love them. We want to encourage them. We want to engage them with the gospel, to answer questions, to share with them the good news of Jesus. If they're a believer, glorious. They love the gospel. If they're an unbeliever, they're being encouraged and pointed to Christ. So we can invite our neighbors. We can invite our children. We can invite our family members to come to the church and be pointed to Christ. And I'm thankful for Redeemer because I see that so clearly in our leadership And I see that so clearly in all of you. I see it so clearly in all of you that you love Christ. All the the members that I've gotten to know in the fast, in 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 the Redeemer's history, that you love Christ, that you want your children to love Christ, that you want each other to love Christ. Thank you. I, I, I love you guys. So the word of God, bringing people to the word of God is one way we can point them to Christ. A second way is through the church, bringing them here so that we can invest in them and love them well. And the third way is in our lives. We are called to be Christ-like. We are called to be saints. And in that, we will imperfectly and, and with imperfectly as sinners, but as we grow like Christ, we are going to be Christ to others. We're going to love as Christ loved. We're going to encourage as Christ encouraged. We're going to point them to him, not to us. But we are to be as ever flawed as it is, an image of Christ for people to see and point them to him. So we have the word, we have the church, and we have the saints. And one opportunity we as a church are going to have this fall 
as we move on with Redeemer Fellowship, as we start inviting students into our church from campus intentionally, we're going to have students come in, and that gives us an opportunity as a body to come together and invest in them, to invite them into our homes, to take them out to lunch, to get to know them and talk with them, to share the gospel with them and pour our lives into them. I know for some of us who've been here for a while or that have been in Champaign-Urbana and I've seen people come and go and come and go for years, it's hard. Because you're like, I get them for a year or two and then they leave me. Don't see it that way. Let me encourage you to see the opportunity we have here of giving people, loving people, equipping people with the gospel and sending them out to be a blessing to churches and to nations with the gospel. So that's a practical opportunity. Another practical opportunity we have is with our children, with our families, with our neighbors to engage them in the word of God. So let us, with Philip, speaking to Nathaniel, call others to come and see Jesus. Now, we've looked at an honest approach to determining Jesus' identity. We've seen the importance of the Messiah and the Old Testament, some little of what the Old Testament teaches, but a theme of the Messiah. We've seen that God allows us to ask questions. He wants us to engage our minds. So we've seen this honest approach to determining Jesus' identity. Now we're now going to look at how this approach leads us to faith. Let's look at how Jesus and Nathaniel, Jesus engages Nathaniel. I'm going to read that second part here, 47 to 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus, as Nathanael's walking toward him, takes the initiative. And he says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, he's actually quoting Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, it's, it says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who does not, against, against whom the Lord hold, counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Jesus says, an Israelite indeed, a believer, a follower of God, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Quoting this, saying, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. He's saying, blessed... Nathaniel, you're an Israelite indeed. You're a follower of God indeed. And he says this to, to Nathaniel. Nathaniel's response is, is, is interesting. It's amazing. How do you know me? Nathaniel comes to Jesus to get his questions answered. Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel, how do you know me? How do you know this to be true? How could you know I'm an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? How can you know anything about me? How do you know me? Jesus answered him. 
before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, Nathaniel knows this isn't like Jesus was like following behind Philip to see what he was up to and saw Nathaniel over there and saw Philip. No, Nathaniel understands this rightly. He came to Jesus. He knows he sees where Jesus is. He knows Jesus did not know, had no way of knowing what he was up to. Why do I make that argument? Because of his response. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus came to Nathanael, called him an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We don't know what happened under the fig tree. None of the commentators can agree on it, so I'm not going to get into it. But we don't know what happened here. What we do know very clearly is that Nathaniel understood what Jesus said with great clarity to be something that he could not naturally know. Nathaniel's response shows how powerful it was for Jesus to know what he was, that he was under that fig tree. Because Nathaniel's response is, you were the son of God, you were the king of Israel. Nathaniel, just being confronted with Jesus, just seeing who he was, meeting him, having him speak two sentences to him, his questions were forgotten. This question of how anything can good come out of Nazareth, they didn't sit down and well say, well, here's my birth certificate, I'm from, I'm from Bethlehem. No, he meets the living Christ and his doubts are washed away by just a conversation. He sees Jesus' knowledge that is divine, that Jesus could not know he was under that fig tree, but, but that he has this divine knowledge. And he comes to faith. He comes to proclaim, however, that he is the son of God, that he is the king of Israel. Now, these are both terms that the Jews would use for the Messiah. Nathaniel understands this only in parts, but he does understand this. He's saying, you are the Messiah. Now, John, the author of the book of John, is already hinted in the first part of chapter John that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the word of God made flesh and dwells among us. So when John is using Nathaniel saying you are the son of God, John's hinting back to that and saying, Nathaniel gets this. I want you to get that Jesus is the son of God, that God, Jesus is God. Nathaniel gets that, but not perfectly. He's saying you are the Messiah. He says you're the king of Israel. And that's correct. But Jesus is more than the king of Israel. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Nathaniel believes just by meeting Jesus, just by coming into Jesus, into a conversation with Jesus, he believes. And that should give us hope as we study the word with others, as we invest in the children in our church, as we love others and, and talk with our neighbors or talk with our family members. There is hope that if we bring them to Jesus, we believe that he will do the work that them meeting him will transform them. Philip didn't get Nathaniel to believe. It wasn't Philip's work. Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus, and Jesus did the work. There's great hope 
for us in evangelism. There's great for, for us in discipleship and in parenting because when we pe- bring people to Jesus Christ, it is God who does the work to save them, not us. We just want to be faithful to bring them. So Nathaniel proclaims Christ's identity. And Jesus answered, because I said to you this simple thing, they saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, I truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the Son of Man ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the Son of Man. I'm sorry, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, when he says that the angels of God ascending to heaven and descending from heaven, he's, he's pointing back to Genesis 28, Jacob's ladder, while Jacob is in Bethel, he sleeps at night, and he has this vision of a ladder and the angels of God ascending to heaven and descending back. That This is a place where God is at work, where you can meet God. And Jesus says that you will see the angels going to heaven and coming down from heaven on the Son of Man, on me. What he's saying here is that you will find a new way, a new path to, a new, I'm sorry, new access to God through Jesus Christ. That, that Jacob going to this place and finding God at this place this one time, that going to these places, you will find a relationship with God. You will find access to God in heaven through the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And he quotes this Son of Man He says son of man. Jesus uses it often in the Gospels. But what is he pointing at here? Well, he's referencing back to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. There's this divine figure, the divine figure of a man. And it says, I saw night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there there came one like like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So you see this, Jesus is pointing to some of these Messianic promises that were in the Old Testament. At least this Messianic promise in the Old Testament in Daniel 7, saying, I am the Son of Man. You will see all peoples and nations and languages serving him, an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He's pointing to a greater kingdom that even the Jews were expecting out of the Messiah. The Jews expected the Messiah to deliver them from Roman oppression, to deliver them to be a free people. He offered them something more. Jesus offered them more than that, and he offered more than just the Jews, for he was going to make all peoples and nations and languages, his people that they should serve him. And how did he do this? Jesus did this through living the sinless life we could not live, dying the death that we deserve, and rising rising again from death to life on the third day by the power of God. He did this to be a propitiation, as Caleb shared so clearly and so effectively earlier, to be a sacrifice for our sin, to pay the price that we could not pay. 
Because we deserve that cross, not him. But his blood was shed for us that by turning from our sins and turning toward Christ, we may have, repent, we may have life, we may have freedom, we may be his, to be a part of his kingdom, of every people and nation and language, to be a part of his everlasting kingdom that shall not pass away. So we've, we've looked at how an honest approach to Jesus' identity. We've looked at that honest approach. We've looked at how that led Nathaniel to faith. That can also lead us to faith. If we come to Christ, honestly seeking to know who he is, if we come to his word and his church and his saints, honestly and openly, we will meet with him. This honest approach to determining Jesus' identity will lead us to faith. And like Nathaniel, what we first come to faith understanding, Jesus is going to show us much greater things than these. We have hope of eternity with him. We have hope of life eternal with God in Christ, fully satisfied in knowing and loving him. But the question remains, who is Christ in your life? Is he the Lord? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he someone that you just say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but he has no impact on your life whatsoever day to day? It's my prayer. It's our church's prayer that he would be your Messiah. He'd be your Savior. He'd be your Lord. That he would be the greatest love of your heart. He, he would fill you with all joy and believing. I want to encourage you, if you've never never thought about Christ, if you've never thought about Jesus, if you have questions about who Jesus is, you have questions about how he could save you, to talk to one of us. Talk to me. Talk to Chet, to Caleb, to Kyle, to any of the community group leaders. Anyone around you, turn to someone else and ask them questions. There is room for that. That's not a bad thing. If you're a believer, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ Proclaim the gospel yourself daily. Rejoice in what he's done for you. Remember who you were apart from Christ and rejoice in who he is. It's my prayer today that he would be all of ours, each and every one of us here, our Messiah and Savior and Lord. So let us repent of our sins, turn to Christ and find life in him. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your goodness and grace, Lord, your mercy and love. Lord, I thank you that we can honestly seek you. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to ask questions, that you don't deny us that opportunity, but you let us ask questions that we may rightly know you. Lord, not only do I, not only do I thank you for that, but Lord, I thank you that while Jesus, you are no longer on the earth physically, but you have left the body of Christ. You left your saints here. You've left your word that we may know you, we may believe. Father God, I pray that you'd work by your spirit in our hearts, that we rejoice in the risen Christ, that we would repent, that we would trust, that we with Nathaniel would have hearts that would joyfully proclaim you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel.
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.